So, so today's daf is um, Yud, and we pick up on Teremet Bet, Leishlaki Shavisachi, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight lines down in the wide lines, um, and we just had a whole interesting um, discussion between Rabbi um, Yochum and Reish Lakish about, um, about why, like about the whole issue about Yerida Fedoros, about whether earlier generations were greater or they weren't greater, um, and connecting to the question about why there's been no Binyan Beis Amikdash in the, in the, you know, why the first Beis Amikdash was rebuilt after 70 years, and the second Beis Amikdash, and, and then there has not yet been a rebuilding of the Beis Amikdash after the destruction of the second. So so it's important to keep that discussion in, um, you know, in mind as we now look at the following story. So let's take a look. Reish Lakish Lakish was bathing in the Jordan River. Asa Rabbi Barbachana. So Rabbi Barbachana, a Babylonian Amorakain, was apparently in Israel for the time. We know that the Babylonian Marayim spent time learning in Israel. And he stretched out his hand to help Reish Lakish out of the Jordan River. So Amalei, so Reish Lakish said to him, as a thank you, your God hates you. Okay, <laughs> not a nice thing to say. Somebody's helping you out of the river. You see, as the verse says, if she is a wall, let us build upon her a tower of silver. And if she is a door, let us build upon her a um, you know a, a plank of cedar. So what does that mean? If you had made yourselves like a wall and had all come up at the time of Ezra because most of the people who were living in Bavel, the Jews, stayed in Bavel at the time of the, at the uh, you know, at the uh, second base of Mikdash. Had you been like a wall, what do you mean a wall? Like a wall is one big unit, right? And if you would all come up at the time of Ezra, you would have been like silver, that there would have been no like rot that could set into you. Now that you came up like doors, what does it mean like doors? Rashi explains, you know, a door, like, uh, you know, it's a little piece of the wall that opens and closes. It's not the whole wall. So now that you've made yourself like a door, um, or Rashi says, like, you know, if you have two doors, one opens, one closes, it's really something only very partial. Now that you made yourself like a door, door, now you're like cedar, that rot, you know, can set into the wood. And now, so what, so what does that mean? So it means, thank you, that the way Rashi explains and the Gemara is going to allude to is that this is an explanation about why there has not been a, um, a, a Binyan Beis Hamikdash, why, there, why the second Beis Hamikdash was destroyed and hasn't been rebuilt. As I said, that was sort of like the background of the discussion. If the uh, later generations are so great because of the Torah, so why is it that the Beis Hamikdash has not been rebuilt? So this seems to be Rishwakish's answer to that question. You know why? It's all the fault of the Bavel that they didn't come up in the time of Ezra. And now we're like Erez, that Rekev Sholepo. My Erez, what does that mean? Wait, let's take a look. My Erez, what do you mean Erez? So Amar Ula Sasmagor. So Sasmagor. So, which might just be the name of the Babylonian name of Cedar. But Rashi also says that it basically refers to a type of a worm, a type of, that uh, eats up on the inside of the cedar wood. So the inside gets rotted, but the outside is still around. My Sasmagor, and what, what's the metaphor of that? Amarebi um, Abba Basko. It means that while we don't have Nivua, in the second, in the in the time of the second base on Mikdash, we don't have the fullness of God's presence, but we have like some external shell, a basko. Once the old generation died out of the Nevi'im, like the leftovers from the first base on Mikdash period, Chagai Zechariah Malachi, you were at the beginning of the second base on Mikdash, there was no longer any true divine presence, um, the Ruach HaKodesh. But there would still be some type of a presence of some echo, some basko, some type of divine inspiration, and that's all that was left. Okay, so this is what he's saying. If you want to know why second base Hamikdash was like at a lower level than the first, you know, again, maybe it's more talking about the re- the second base Hamikdash and not why there hasn't been a rebuilding of the third. But still, it seems to be juxtaposed to the story we left off with yesterday. It's not be- 
because we are of a lower level actually our Torah learning with oppression is so much at a higher level than the previous generations there's other reasons it's because that there you know the lack of the fact that it was not a full aliyah that so many people remained in Bavel there's other sort of national reasons why we're at a different status at least the way I'm reading that as a response to the way the discussion ended yesterday just one second the Marsha makes a nice point um, reading the Gemara in light of the of Sefer Ezra the difference between a wall and a door and he points out that at the beginning of the time of Ezra if you read the Pesukim they needed to be um, they needed to be guarding the walls because of the you know attacks from the surrounding people that did not want them you know Samaritans and others did not want them building the second base on Mikdash so he says if so many of you had come up that you would have served like a wall there would have been so many of us we would have needed the protections of the walls then it would have been a very different story but now he says you know you came up only sort of like doors there were only enough of you like as it were to like you know to guard the doors there was not so many that really served as a true protection so he connects it to those sto- to that actual the actual historical events of the time of Ezra yes Charlie according to the three oaths we're not supposed to ascend like a wall that's after the Horban of the Bayashani but he's talking, but no, but he's saying the reason why things weren't aren't so good weren't so good from the bias Shani on is because of that you didn't the way you didn't return in bias Shani. The Gemara that speaks in Ksuvas about Shalo, you know right. Shavuah not to be Ola Bahoma, which is the exact same metaphor here. Mm-hmm. We're talking about from after bias Shani regarding bias Shlishi, so it's a different story. These oaths emerged because of these things, right? right. Yeah. Right. That's why I sort of said, like the echo, the right translated as the echo. Right. It's not the actual ruach hakodesh. Right. It's just some type of a distant echo. Okay. I mean, uh, I think Lieberman points out. So Lieberman points out that Vaskol in the Bavli very much is about like this sort of like you know distant heavenly voice, whereas in the Yerushalmi. I think, if I remember correctly, he says it does not have like any metaphysical connotations. It means like if a Bosco went out, it means like a, a, a like a, a report came out, meaning like you know uh, the word spread about something, like uh, or a consensus emerged about something. It doesn't actually suggest some type of a divine voice. Okay, so now the verse says like this. Oh, another question. Yes. Um, how can then someone, for instance, say Rashi had Ruach Hakodesh when this clearly says? Uh, oh, you'll have to ask the people that say that. Okay, can <laughs> Okay, so now the Gemara says like this. Kedatai, oh, we just did that. Now, we would read the story and we would say, here's poor Rabbi Barbachana helping him out of the river and he's like just attacking him. So the Gemara has a different question. Why would he even bother speaking to Rabbi Barbachana? Or would he even speak to Rabbi Barbachana? Umar Rebbe Elazar, the Mara da Ard Yisrael Havi, Rebbe Elazar, who was like considered like the master of Eretz Yisrael. I mean, they, that's a phrase. Another Gemara tells that story about why he has that name. But he was such an important personage. The Lo Havi Mishai Reish Lakish Badei, Reish Lakish would not speak with him. Why? The Mindy Mishai Reish Lakish Badei, whoever Reish Lakish would speak to, Bashuk in in public. People would do business with such a person without witnesses, meaning if Reish Lakish would speak to him, he's completely beyond reproach, completely trustworthy, and therefore they would be willing to sort of do business with him without getting any signatures, without getting any witnesses. So Reish Lakish would be extremely careful who he would speak to because of the way that would sort of the messages that would send to, the, to, you know, to people in the community. So if that's true, the Gemara assumes that Rabbi Barakhana certainly wasn't at the level of Rabbi Lazar. And if Reish Lakish wasn't going to speak to Rabbi Lazar, he wouldn't speak to Rabbi Barbachana. So, so the Mbahadi, so Bahadi, Rabbi Barbachana, he would talk with Rabbi Barbachana. So, Amar Rabbi Papa, Shadi Gavra Beinayu. Okay, you have, to, you have to exchange one of the people. Either it was Reish Lakish who was swimming, um, and it was the person that helped him out of the river was, um, the, uh, I'm sorry, did I mean that right? Yeah. Um, it was the Erie who upped him out of the race blockage. Um, right. Okay. Oh, Rabbi Barbachana Have. Or it was Rabbi Barbachana who stretched out the hand, Rabbi Lazar. And it was Rabbi Lazar who was swimming in the river. Okay, so you have to do something so we can have, so the story can make sense. Okay. Now, when they came to Rabbi Yochanan, which, by the way, makes it very, seems to be that it was there for race blockage, who the story was about. Because now. Yeah, that's true. So now they came to Rabbi Yochanan and told him, so, 
Um, okay. So anyway, Rashi says it means Reish Lakish came to Reb Yochanan and told him the story. You know, it's, it sounds a, a, it would make a little bit more sense if the person that got this uh, response from Reish Lakish told Reb Yochanan the story. Anyway, Amalei Lav Hayinitama. That's not the reason. The reason why it's not at the same Madrega by Shani from Bayis Rishon is not because there was not a big uh, uh, like a uh, like you know a, 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 a huge Aliyah. Um, even if all of Christ had come up in the time of Ezra um, there would not have been the presence of the Shekhinah in the second day of Mikdash why? because the Pasuk says always good Pasuk to be talking about around Hanukkah time okay God will expand Yefet but he will dwell in the tent of Shane okay so this was obviously the bracha that Noah gave to his children so the Gemara reads this classically Af al God the Although God will expand Yefet, and also Yah here means to beautify Yefet, okay, and often that's read as the um, uh, anyway. So meaning, although the Beis Hamikdash Hasheni, which was constructed, now it really wasn't made by the Greeks, so that's what the Gemara is going to act after. It was given; they were allowed to return because of Koresh, who was a Persian. But the Gemara will discuss this, this, argue in a minute that the Persians are descendant from Yefet. So although that is expansive, although in a way is more beautiful, the bias Shemi was actually, although when they first built it, you read in Ezra, everybody was crying because it wasn't as beautiful as the first base of Mikdash. But by the time you got to Herod and the expansion of it, it was even bigger and more beautiful, even if all of that is true. God's ultimately the presence is Baal Shame, only in the tents that come from Shame, meaning only in the Baisa Mikdash Rishon, which was built by, you know, by, by, by Shlomo, which was built by descendants of Shame. So yes, the Baisa Mikdash Shane was beautiful, but it wasn't a purely Jewish temple. You know, if you want, you would say it's not just who the builder was, but it wasn't done by us when we were, had our own, you know, autonomous government, and when we had our self-dominion, it was done under the subjugation of other nations, and therefore the presence of God is also diminished as well. Now that's interesting to read because a classic Midrash on Yaf Delokimu Yefet is Yafuso Shoyefes Be'ahleishem. That it's not sort of setting it as a dichotomy, but actually bringing them together. The beauty of Yefet can come together as in the test of shame, and speaking about a merging of those two, here it's being read as a dichotomy. Yes, Charlie? They don't mention Herod rebuilding the temple, and Herod was the best of something too. Right. Well, exactly. Okay. I know. So, it's, so there, we're talking about the first base, I mean, I mean about the first rebuilding as well. I threw in Herod for the historical context. So the Gemara says, Since when did the Persians, because it was rebuilt under the Persians, since when did they come from Yephet? And now we're going to explain what each of these places is. So Gomer ze Girmamia. Gomer is Germania, which makes you want to say Germany, but it's doubtful that the Gemara would have identified that with the sons of Yefet. Um, I have no idea if anybody has an English that gives any reasonable Arthur translation. Arthur has a map? Okay, wonderful. What, what, what do they identify it with? Like, what ancient nation? I'm asking what ancient... Who has it? Nobody else has a... Yeah, I got it, yeah. Germany. Germany is Germany. They want to say it means Germany? Yeah. Well, that, okay. First of all, there's a question whether if you look at the gross, which is the gear, so to Germania. Our gear is Germania. I'm doubtful that it really enters. Okay. And there was something there that had a name like that? Aramia? I think that's probably much more reasonable. Okay. So because these are the places. These places are not in, you know, Western Europe. Okay. Magog Zekandia. So that's Canada. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> if Germany is Germany, then God take my goal. I had my son Ellie made when he was five. My friend, I should have brought it. Okay, that, that would be... Our so. scroll identifies it as Scythia or Crete. Crete. That makes or sense. Mongolia. Mongolia probably more than Crete. Again, I, the more Western it is, the more doubtful it is. What does is, what is, uh, Steinfeld say? Goth. Goth. Asia Minor. Okay, but it doesn't have to be Jews. They just have to be aware of it. Okay, Zemadai Zemaktonia. So Madai is Macedonia. That is Greek. Yeah, Greece actually. Okay, Yavan Kimashmao. So Yavan is Greek. Greece. So how is Greece and Macedonia different? Weren't wasn't Greece and Macedonia? Macedonia is a different ethnic environment. North. Okay. Alexander was smacking Okay, okay. So I guess we are getting more into Western Europe. Tuval, they base Onike. Tuval is based Onike. Anybody? 
Abyssinia. I don't know what that means. Northwest Asia Minor. Okay. Do, what do you got there? Same thing. Okay. Meshech Zumosia. Meshech is Mosia. Anybody? West Abyssinia. Now we got it. Okay. All right. Tiras. Tiras is uh, is corn. No, Tiras. Ligi barav simai v'rabanan. Ra'amile rebi simon v'rav simon v'rabanan. Chadam rezeis the base teriyaki, which I assume they say is turkey. No, what teriyaki? What thrace? Thrace. Oh, that makes more sense. Thrace makes more sense. That's in the Greek area, Greece area, right? Yeah. The Chadam are zupras, and the other says at Persia. Okay. So we did all this to get to the opinion that it's Persia. So this also Reb Yochanan that said that it was because of the, the, the dichotomy between by region by Shani Yafta Lukim Yefet versus Ole Shame would understand that Persia was descended from Yavan. Okay, Tiny, we turn to Brighter. I think every one of these people spoke an Indo-European language. Oh, so that is so. Which would be our argument for Yafet. Oh, interesting. In terms of the language, that's all yeah. linked. I'm not sure about some of them. Yeah. All the ones I know of. Yeah, and I probably shouldn't have been pushing back so much on the question about Western and Eastern Europe because, you know, because the, uh, because clearly some of the ones that are in the area of Greece <coughs> are in the uh, Western Europe. But I still doubt that Germania, I mean, the Grug switches it to Germania. But anyway. It's a Roman word. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Anyway, okay. So anyway, so anyway, that's how you get this idea of pras. Tani Rev Yosef. Kiros is pras. Now we finish the pasuk. Safta v'saftacha udidan. I think is in the right. So safta. Oh, safta v'rama v'saftacha. Excuse me. So safta v'rama v'saftacha. So where did that come from? That's the end of the pasuk. After the after the listing of v'tiras. Safta v'safta safta v'rama v'saftacha. Time of Yosef. So safta is skistan. Wherever that is, skistan gav yaisa the outer skistan. The skistan raisa and v'saftacha, which sounds like the word safta. Is the inner skistan? Any explanation what skistan is? Sa- what? Sakistan. <coughs> what? Okay. Iran, so, Ghana, an area spanning West Afghanistan and East Iran. Okay, no. The Graz said. Fine. All right, moving on. So anyway, so there's an outer and an inner one. So he imagines it as two rings, an outer ring and then an inner like circle of the inner part of, of the inner, the safta and the saftacha. So bein chada lechada meaparsi. So the distance, you know, the gap between the outer ring and the inner ring, the uh, space between them is a hundred uh, parsangs, which is about a mile. Bnei Kush, by the way, these people. Oh, I'm sorry, the Bnei Kush, not Bnei Bnei Yefet. Thank you. Read the pasuk there, Michael. Bnei Kush, Zavah, Right after the pasuk of Bnei Yavan. Uh, okay, fine. Thank you. Okay, so this is no longer Bnei Yefet. This is Bnei Kush. Um, so anyway, which is Cham. Which is Cham, right? So thank you. Okay, so. Um, there's a hundred parsangs, whatever miles between the outer ring and the inner circle. Maya parsi, the hekefa alpha parsi, and the circumference of presumably the outer circle is a hundred parsangs. So you can do the math. Thousand, excuse me, a thousand. You can do the math. Now that we're talking about all this, let's talk about Nimrod, who is the one personality that emerges from all of the story of the gener- of you know the various descendants of Noah. Right, so the be- Kush, you know, so these are Kush had Sva, Chavila, and all these other people. Right, and then Kush also had uh, Nimrod. So right, right. So now we're continuing in the Pesukim. Right. So we had Yavan, then we mentioned something. Right. I mean, Michael's probably right. What we're probably also doing is looking at this whole section of of Parshas Noah and mentioning like you know interesting rabbinic statements about it so we started with the Bnei Yavan to get to this issue about Persia and now we're missing other comments so we're moving down so after Yavan you have Kush and then you have Nimrod the beginning of his ruling was uh, kingship was in Babel. The Ered Vakad and Ered and Akkad and Chalnei so what are these places? Babel Babylonia Erech Ze Orichot I don't know what does it say Orichot means Anybody? Oh, Uruk. Uruk? Yeah, the archaeologists found it 150 years ago. Okay, it, where is that it's located? A, it was a huge city in, in what is now Iraq. Okay. So, um, okay, the Akkad, now Akkad is Acadia, right? I mean, yeah, they have, so the archaeologists found it 150 years ago. Right. So anyway, the Gemara here says Zebaskar, which is, I don't know if that's just another word they had for Acadia or something else. Actually, our scroll says it's Akkad. 
What? It's, uh, yeah, our art scrolls say it's a car. Yeah, so but, I, but the verse says it's Pascar, so... Well, they are art scrolls down uh, I don't know. Kalne, <laughs> now Kalne, they're no for Ninfi, okay, whatever that is. Mina Aratahi Yatsa Ashur, from that land Ashur came out. So, Tani Rav Yosef, Ashur is a Silak. Assyria is Silak. I don't know what the Silak is. What does it say for Silak? Assyria. Maybe the Seleucid. Seleucid? No. Seleucid? That's the yes. That's the Seleucid. Seleucid? That's north. Same as Seleucid. Huh. It was. It was. Okay. His name in one of Alexander's generals. What? It was divided out then, divided that part into three parts. Right. Seleucid and I forget the third. Is this Hanukkah? Right. That's the Hanukkah. The Seleucid is right. Is. Okay. It's in Iraq. It was a second century before the Common Era. Yeah. So what's the identification of the Seleucid? It's it's a subsection of Alexander the Greek's kingdom. Yeah, it was divided right. between three right, right, right. Syria, Mesopotamia, Iran, and India. I see. And Iran and India very quickly broke away. I see. I see. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Very appropriate for Hanukkah. Vayiven es Nineveh. He built Nineveh. That's Rechovos ir ves Kalach and Rechovos ir and Kalach. Ninveh, Kamash Ma'o. Ninveh is Ninveh. We know the famous yeah. city of Ninveh. Rechovot ir Zoprat. Rechovot ir is the Euphrates. I mean, I only knew the Euphrates as a river, but maybe there was a city, Euphrates, or a region. Um, Prat de Meshan. The Prat of Meshan. Euphrates of Meshan. Um, Klach, Zuprat de Borsif. And Klach is Prat of Borsif. Presumably it means different areas on the Euphrates. Yeah. Okay, it's resident, of course, it seems like it's talking here about cities, but okay, yeah, cities at different places. <laughs> there you go. That's resident, Beinivay of Enkalach, Yerigdolan, resident, which is between Ninvay and Kalach, that is the big city. So resident, Zu Aktisphon. Aktisphon, what's wow? That was the Persian capital. Oh, what? It was? Aktisphon? Yeah. Okay. He had Yerigdola, and Yodea. So which is the big city? Which one? It says that's Resen, Benin, Levin, Kalach, Now, of course, the Marshal says, what about Kalach? It sounds Kalach, Yair, He says, no, if Kalach was the big city, it would have said, that's Kalach, Ha'ir, Hagdola. He, Ha'ir, seems to be referring to one of the previous ones. So which one is it? Is it Ninveh, or is it, um, or is it Resen? So the Gemara says, When we says thou a little bit later in Tanakh, Yonah, Of course, that the size of cities might have changed between Bracious and Yonah, fine. Okay, and anyway, it's also relative to Resen, so you don't know which is Resen. I mean, they could be big and Resen could be bigger. Anyway, okay. Now that we're talking about bigness, and we're also talking about trying to like name uh, sort of people and places or pl- uh, places. We could we uh, jump a little bit ahead to Bamidbar. There was Achiman Sheshai and Talmai. There, when the scouts scattered out the land of Canaan, um, there were these three people: Yilidei Hanak, sons of the giant. So Tana Achiman Miyuman Sheba Achim. What is Achiman? Like the from the word Yamin, the right, the, the largest, the strongest of the brothers. Sheshai. So what does Sheshai mean? Shemesim et Haaret Kishchitut. He makes the land like, you know, like uh, uh, destruction. Um, um, so he lays waste to the land. So again, exactly whether it's from the Sheshai, Shechitut, maybe Sheshai, Shemesim, although the Gemara is going to use the word Shemesim in a minute. Uh, but he's so large, you know, he sort of, he tramples on the land and he destroys it. Talmai, what's Talmai? Shemesim is art slamim slamim. There you see more how it's reading the word. When he walks on the land, he makes it into furrows. Like, you know, he's so big that it causes the land to crack wherever he walks. Dever Acher, Achiman Bana Anat. So Achiman was the builder. So a little question why it's Dever Acher, and this no longer seems to be connecting to the names, just making, you know, sort of historical statements. Achiman built the city of Anat. Sheshai Bana Alush. I have no idea. Sheshai built Alush. I mean, we know where Alush is, right? Charlie, where's Alush? Okay, I don't know. Anyway, Tamai Bana Talbosh. Okay, now Yilidei Anak. Um, there's, um, so the um, the children of the of Anak, so literally the giant, Shema'anikin Hachama Bekomatan. They uh, from the word they basically the way Rashi explains is an Anak can also be like a necklace. They make the necklace, you know, they make the sun into a necklace. They're so big, they stand up so tall, you know. You look at it and like it looks like the sun is going around their neck. Something like that. Amar Rebbe Yosho Ben Levi. Amar Rebbe. Atida Romi Shetipo Biad Pras. 
Now, eventually, right, Rome was obviously the current uh, government, and you know, like we just had the whole thing about um, about the, the dream of Yaakov and the ladder, and the famous midrash is that the angels were the you know vision about the different uh, you know about the different kingdoms that ruled over the Jewish people, you know, and he sees you know, and he sees Pras, and he sees Yavan and going up and down, and then he sees Rome going up and not coming down, you know, and he sort of says like you know when are when you know when will the dominion of Rome ever end? So you have to understand that from Chazal's perspective, right, it looked like there was no end to it. Rome was uh, this supremely powerful government, you know, kingdom, you know, and uh, so when is it ever going to end? When are we ever going to be free from the subjugation? The Persians were still powerful at that time? Uh, not, oh, yeah. yeah they were? Yeah, okay. Right. under Persian yeah. rule. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. wait. No, I'm, I'm no, no, no. Bodley was written under Persian rule. I, I, I understand. Yeah, but were they like a powerful... Yes, they were very powerful. Uh-huh. Against Rome. Against Rome. They were, they, they, were, they were a theoretical threat to Rome. Okay. They were not a theoretical... They were a real threat yeah, on the to Rome. Eastern they, border. The eastern yeah. border of the Roman In fact, Empire. in the early 7th century, they conquered the entire Middle yeah. East from the Romans. So we're talking about the really? And they lost the Empire. Okay. Which century? Beginning the 7th century. All right, all right. So, Romi should keep. Who, in the end? I mean, I know we know that, like, you know, I, Rome, I always hear, like, right, you know, it was, like, uh, overrun with barbarians, the sacking of Rome. But what nation, actually? Was it the Mongols? What the, nation? The Goths. Actually? The Goths. And then the Vandals. Yeah, they, they, uh-huh. they were, what well, we would call Northern. Like, Northern Germany? They were, they were, they were German. Germanic tribes, German, right? Germanic tribes. Okay. Yeah. All right. So... I'm a Rebbe. Atida Romi Shatipo Biad Pras. So they are looking towards a future time when maybe, you know, the Roman kingdom will fall and the, presumably also then the Jews will be free from subjugation. You understand, by the way, that what happens in Chazal, since we're reading the whole Yaakov Esau stories, is that, you know, Esau in the Torah is like the competitor with Yaakov. And also it's like, you know, Laom Yelom Ye'emat, one goes up, the other goes down. So Chazal, now Esau in the Torah represents Edom, but Edom is a nation that, that disappeared in biblical times. Chazal, ha, you know, basically, not, not necessarily was conscious, but found a substitute, you know, how to, how to sort of apply Edom to its reality, Edom became Rome, because Rome was the subjugator of, uh, you know, of the Jewish people. And then, of course, when Rome fell, Edom became Christianity. Now, that was possible because of the whole Holy Roman Empire, but it's important to understand how that transference, right, of becomes from Esau to Edom, Edom to Rome, and Rome to, and Rome to Christianity. The, 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 the Holy the Gemara just takes it for granted. Rome the Holy Roman Empire was hundreds of years after this. I understand, but I'm saying, why, how is it that in how is it that in the Middle Ages Edom is Christianity? Right? Ah. It's because of that transference. Okay. Anyway, so Atida Rome should keep Obiad Pras. Eventually, Rome will form the hands of the Persians. Shenemar, the Roman Empire. Shenemar, it says, "Lachein Chimu Atzat and Chimu Atzat Hashem Asher Yaat." Here, the 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 council of God that He has sort of counseled Al El Adom Machshivotav regarding Edom and its thoughts. Asher Chashavu Yoshrei Teiman that God has thought regarding those who dwell in Teiman. In Lo Yisachvum, if they will not be if they will not be swept away, Tzirei Hatzon, the young of the sheep will sweep them away. So the young of the sheep is understood to mean pros. In lo yasimaleim noham, if they will not place upon them like a, uh, a, a, a you know a, a bellowing. So matkifla rabba barula my mashma dahitzi reason pras. How do you know that the young of the sheep means Persia? Because it says in the vision in Daniel, the ram that you saw, right? This was the vision of the Muhanetza, the ram that you saw, that had all that had the horns. Those are the kings of Media and Persia. So you see that sown sheep and ram, ram is 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 pras. Okay, the Ema Yavan. So what? Why? Why associated with that? How about to have maybe it's Greek? Greece, Dechsiv, because then he says, Vatsapir Hasair, and the goat, the he goat, Melech Yavan is the king of Yavan. So stone could also include goats. Maybe it's, maybe it's Greece. What makes you identify it with Persia? So Kisalik Rav Chaviva Bar Surmaki, when Rav Chaviva Bar Surmaki went up to Israel, Amar Kameda Humer He said this discussion in front of one of the rabbis. You know this teaching that it was uh, that it was cross, but the question of exactly how we knew that. And Amar Le, he said back to him, Mandalo Yada Perusha Cry Mosi Tiyufta. Person who doesn't know how to interpret the psukim asks questions. It was a question out of ignorance. You, you assumed that the reason Son was identified was the pasuk in Daniel, and therefore you asked your question. The problem is you didn't understand what he was really doing by identifying Tzon as Pras. Why? Masi Tiyufta Lerebi, challenge is ready. 
So my Tzirei Hatzon, what does Tzirei Hatzon? Zutra Dachoi. It means the youngest of the brothers. And we said before that the, the youngest of, the, of, of Bnei Yefet, or Tiras was the youngest, was uh, Pras. So, of course, yeah, it's not clear. So, how do you know, even if the ear means the youngest, like the small of the flock? We're not doing a metaphor that flock and sheep represents Persia. The metaphor is the youngest of the flock. So, who's the youngest of the flock? The youngest of the children of, of, um, of Yefet, which is Tiras, which is Persia. Of course, the question still is how do you know to identify the flock with, you know, with Yefet? Anyway, that's the explanation. Okay. So the Gemara says like this, um, Now we're going to make the same statement. In the end, Rome will fall in the hands of Persia. Okay, we know history follows Kavachomers. The first temple, going off the back to this idea of versus, you know, Yefes. With the first base of Mikdash was built by the descendants of Shane, was built by Shlomo, the Chiruvu Kazdim, and the Kazdim, um, you know, destroyed it. Nafu Kazdim got Prasim, and then the Kazdim fell under the, you know, that, that, that kingship, that, that empire fell to the Persians. So the second base of Mikdash that was built by the Persians, meaning it was built under the auspices of Korish, the Chiruvu Romayim, and the Romans destroyed it. Eno Dinshi Yiplu Romayim Biyat Prasim. How much more so will the Romans fall in the hands of the Persians. Now, even from a Kavachomer argument, this is weak. Forget the fact that history doesn't conform, right? This is sort of like you would think it's like the transitive axiom of inequality, <laughs> right? So the Persians beat out the Kazdin, and then the Romans beat out the Persians. So how do you think the Persians are going to beat out the Romans? Obviously, the Kavachomer. No. <laughs> the is the Persians, if the Persians were able to destroy something created by, you know, by B'nai Yisrael, by B'nai Shem, which obviously should have been the lasting Mikdash, how much more will the Persians be able to destroy something that was, uh, the, you know, the people that could wipe out the second base of Mikdash. I don't even really get the Kavachomer. Anyway, so Amar, so that's his Kavachomer. Um, so the Gemara says like this, um, Amar Rav, said Rav, Atila Prash, people beyond Romi. Uh, he got it wrong, he said. It's not that Rome will fall under Prash, Pras will eventually be conquered by Rome. Amrulay Ravkan Ravati the Rav. How is it possible? Pras are the good guys, right? So we were basically assuming the good guys, Pras, who allowed the second base of Mictus to be rebuilt, they would destroy Rome. You're saying the Romans who destroyed it will destroy Pras? How could that be? They're the good guys. So the Banuye, the builders, will fall in the hands of the destroyers? So Amr Lehu, in yes, there's Hamelchi. That's God's will. That's the way history works. Okay, Rome is your supreme, and they're going to wipe out Pras, even if Pras were the good guys. So Ikadami, some say Amr Inuhu Nami Hakasasri Beknishta. Don't think Pras are all are only good guys. They also Kasasri Beknishta. They also wiped out synagogues, which is interesting because we know that you know the Jews had it very good under Persian rule, and they had it very good in Babel. So it's not exactly clear what historical context he's referring to. But the point is, Pras aren't such good guys either. Still, Rome were worse. Anyway, Tanya Namihaki. We talked similarly. Atida Pras to keep up Yad Romi. Pras will fall into the hands of Rome. Chad, um, number one, destroy Beit They destroy synagogues, and therefore, they, why that proves that they'll fall in the hands of Rome, I don't know. But they're not total good guys. Anyway, it's God's desire. Yes, sometimes the builders will fall in the hand of the destroyers. I mean, let's face it, the destroyers are good at destroying. So, the Amarav Yud Amarav, Ein ben David Ba, the son of David, the Mashiach won't come. Until the even Roman kingdom will have dominion over the entire world. So you're, you're saying, you know, you're imagining there's going to be an immediate counterbalance. Rome was supreme, there's God and they've now got to be destroyed. He's like a more pessimistic view. No, they're going to take over the entire world. And only then, when things are the most desperate, that's when Mashiach is going to come. Exactly. Kulo Tisha Kadashim for nine months. Shenemar, Lachain Yitnaim Ad Eis Yoleda, Yalada. Therefore, he will give them until the time that the woman giving birth will give birth. So Vieter Achav Yeshuvun Abnei Israel and the remnants of the brothers will return. So how long does it take to give birth? Nine months. So only when they are, have dominion over the entire world for nine months, only then will there be a Mashiach. Okay. We with that we end the Agadita and return to the discussion of the Mishnah. Yes. Uh, this these are mostly 
relatively early Amorayim in Babel, the Sahas. So they would not have known at this time that the Roman Empire was in the process of falling apart internally. Mm. Okay, so that's why they could be having this discussion right. about whether Rome will, will will conquer the world. But it's interesting that they that they that they're actually they're living under Persian rule, right? And they're even discussing the fact right. that Persia might be uh, might fall to Rome or vice versa. Right, right. It's a good point. Right, which side are they look lo- lo- from? Which perspective are they looking? Okay, back to the Mishnah. All the all the rooms that they the chambers in the mikdash didn't have a mezuzah. Chutzmi lishkas parhedrin, except for this chamber, shaisa babes where the kohen gadol. That's where the kohen gadol would live. So that had a mezuzah. Amar Rav Yehuda said, Rav Yehuda, but look, how many mean like sleeping or just living? Mean no, sleeping. Yeah, we we've been discussing that before. How could he sleep in it? No, no. Let's not get into that right now. Let's just assume he fully lives there. I'm not going to discuss dividing a place you sleep and you eat. Okay, he fully lives there. There were a number of chambers that there were in the base of Mikdash that people lived in, like the Kohanim would live, you know, they'd sleep in if they were watch, on the watch of the base of Mikdash. And they didn't have a Mikdash. So it was ra- so now, so rather, that was, so meaning, the fact that you live in a room in the base of Mikdash is not obligated in a mezuzah. Why not? We'll have to see. Meaning it is true, for example, shoals don't need a mezuzah because people don't live in them. They don't sleep and eat in them. But if there actually are, I mean, we put it up for minog, but it doesn't technically require it. But if people actually do live and sleep in the, you know, in the shoals, then it would require. So, okay, the base of interest by itself wouldn't require a mezuzah. But, see, but why would a room not? But that's what Yehuda's argument. I mean, he doesn't say why, but he gives evidence. He says, look, there were many chambers that people slept in did not have a mezuzah. For whatever reason, the rooms in the base of Mikdash, even if they're lived in, don't require a mezuzah. But he doesn't disagree about Lishkas Parhedrin. And Lishkas Parhedrin, Xera Haisa, by Lishkas Parhedrin, it was not that it really was obligated in the mezuzah, it was a Xera. Now, what was the Xera? So we'll see that in a minute. The Gemara is going to say. Living there and having a mezuzah. Right, so the Gemara is going to say, yeah, but if people live in the other rooms that doesn't have a mezuzah. So the Gemara is going to say. The the same person. Right. So A could just say it's a lot of focus on the Kohen Gadol for seven days straight, all right? We'll see other reasons the Gemara will say. But he says, in principle, chambers in the Beit Samikdosh, even lived in, do not require a mezuzah. We'll see why. You should note, by the way, that in the Tosefta, Rabbi Yudah says the exact opposite. Rabbi Yehuda says that there are a couple, many rooms in the base of Mikdash that people live in, and they all have a mezuzah. Okay, so the Tosefta is the exact reverse of this quote here of Rabbi Yehuda. But this verse is, in principle, no mezuzah. The Liskos Parhedrin was exera. So my time at Rabbi Yehuda. What's the reason of Rabbi Yehuda that there's no need for a mezuzah in the rooms in the base of Mikdash, even if they're lived in? So I'm a rabbi. Kasava Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda holds kol bayis she'eno asli limosachamul limoskeshamid. Any place that's not made for living throughout the year. Ain't bias the winter and the summer, okay? Because uh, so therefore, whatever rooms that people slept in, you know, coin guzzle a week, other people a few days, nobody lives in there year round. So by the summer, so the Gemara is going to reject that. Ace Abaye Abaye asks on this vaccine, does it not say the Casey base a I will destroy the house, the, the winter house, uh, you know, and the, against the summer house. So you see, it's called the bias. So I'm Base Choref, base Chayet Ikri, it's called a winter house or a summer house. Bayez Stam or Low Ikri, but Stam house, it's not called, so it doesn't have the status of Bayez. I just have to say, I was watching the other day, um, you know how Rahm Emanuel got really angry because the uh, New World, World Trade Center is the tallest building now, there was an official ruling or whatever, so he's talking, you know, anyway, got up talking, and then so on the news they were talking mm-hmm. about, well, you know, Chicago's still better than New York because, like, you know, Chicago, you know, style pizza, the pan pizza is so much better than New York pizza. So, so, uh, so what's his name? John Stewart had, had a whole little uh, thing um, where, you know, first he goes on this rant against, the, against pan pizza. And then he says, and you know what? He says, you call your stuff pan pizza, Chicago style pizza, then he takes a cycle pizza. He says, you know what this is? Pizza. So, <laughs> so, so anyway, that's basically the point. Okay, it could be called a winter house or a summer house. House, it isn't. If it needs a modifier, it's not the real thing. So the Gemara says, so that's the first answer. But the Gemara says, buy your stomach so Esrei Abaye, so Abaye asked on this, you really think that that's true? That, you know, just because it's a, a few days, it doesn't require mezuzah? Look, I'll show you actually what Reb Yehuda says. Sukkah sechad b'chad, what's the story with your sukkah 
uh, during during sukkah? Does it need a mezuzah? Rebuta mechayev. Rebuta would have you put up a mezuzah in your sukkah. The chamin posim and the chamin exam. So here's the opposite. Rebuta is more demanding of a mezuzah, which fits with the dosefta, yeah. but yeah. not with our version. Okay, so Rebuta is more demanding. Vitania law, and we taught on a bright on it. Rebuta mechayev be'eruv. He would demand that you have an eruv, meaning if it opens up into a courtyard, it would have to participate in the eruv. Ubi mezuzah. It needs a mezuzah. He really treats it like a house. Ubi maser. And with maser, meaning if you bring grain into the house, once you bring it into the house, it's obligated in maser. But it has to be something that has the status of a house. So you see, Reb Yudah really considers it a house. So how could he not, you know, not have the same approach about the chambers in the base of Mikdash? A little clarification. You tell me when, it's, when the tabua is still growing in the field? And Not only flowers. growing, when it's harvested and in the bundles, it's only rabbinically chayav in, in, in Meister. It has to be brought in. Normally, you don't bring it into the it's house. Right you bring it into the barn. Into the barn. Yeah, right. it comes inside of right. your... You, right, exactly. It's re'iyas p'nei habayis. Only then is it biblically obligated, okay? Or is it considered tevel if you eat it without taking it? You know, it's, you, you can speak about there sort of being a chiyah, but it's not yet status of tevel. Anyway, the chiyitem are midurabanan, so maybe the reason he requires gives sukkah this status is all rabbinic, okay? So bishleimah the says that can't be. It's got to be biblical. Bishleimah eruv mezuzah equal name midrabana. To require to do an eruv to require to put up a mezuzah that you could say is rabbinic. El meiser to require meiser to be taken when it's brought into such a place that would not be rabbinic. Nikol name midrabana. How could you say it's rabbinic? See, we're going to finish the daf today. Okay. Yoma asi lafrushay minachiv al aptur. We would not make something only rabbinically obligated in Trumas and Maestros because people will think it's biblically obligated and they'll come to take from this grain which is biblically exempt on grain that's biblically obligated or the reverse. So therefore we would never make it something rabbinically obligated in Trumas and Maestros. Of course, that's absurd and that's one of the big toasts things that shortened the daf for us is there's plenty of times we have rabbinic obligations of Trumas and Maestros. So number one is if there are types of species like a type of food that's different, you know, certain types, I know, let's say vegetables, the whole obligation of Trumas and Mises is rabbinic. Fine, but you don't have to be concerned of, of that you'll take from exempt unobligated because you don't take from vegetables on wheat, right? So there's no problem if we make an obligation of a category of food as rabbinic, you won't cross categories. But the Tosu says there are also times where we make wheat that's only, that, that only, that's in for some reason is not biblically obligated. We make it rabbinically obligated. Why? Why are, we, why are we concerned here and not there? His basic short answer is, is that, um, is that you know, some of those differences are more obvious. This difference will easily be confused. They see a guy living in a hut. They see him bringing wheat into it. You know, it's very easy to assume there's nothing obvious that marks it as only rabbinically obligated. So, therefore, we would never make that um, rabbinically obligated because then it will lead to you mixing up rabbinic and biblical and lead to you separating trumas and maestros from this wheat to exempt other wheat, and that won't work because one is rabbinic and the other is biblical. I'm something really basic. Yes. All the time, the, something is the rabbinic more machmir than, than, than the few delights. I'm not sorry. You mean what's stopping us from making things durabanan? Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's what I said a minute ago. Tosos right, points out. Tosos, so do you understand what the problem is having grain that's only rabbinically obligated? What it might lead to? If this grain here right. is biblically obligated okay. and this is rabbinically obligated, right? And I say I am being mafrish my trumas and maizos from this grain for all of this, which I can do, right? Then I'll think that I can eat this grain. But from the Torah's perspective, it wasn't an actual act of hafrasha, and this right. grain remains. Remains, remains Tevel. So that's the concern. So, tells us, so that we should always be concerned. And the basic answer is there is nothing that clearly demarks this grain as different than that grain. And here we would not make it rabbinically obligated because it could easily lead to right. that scenario. Right. You, wouldn't, you wouldn't think that you were, you were, you were taking Meiser on a wheat if you were Mafrish Meiser from vegetables. From, yeah. Right, exactly. So, uh, so it cannot be rabbinic, it's got to be biblical. So now we've got that Reb Yehuda biblically obligates a sukkah in mezuzah, so why is he having a problem with the rooms in the base of Mikdash? El Amar Abayi, so Abayi says, B'shiva, 
during the seven days, okay, of Sukkot, or the seven days of the Kohen Gadol, but let's say the seven days of Sukkot. One of the other reasons this stuff is so long, is, is short, is because this huge second Tosos sort of tries to figure, you know, has a whole argument on Rashi, how to read the, how to read this Gemara. So I'm going to basically read it Tosos' way. Okay, Beshiva, during the seven days of Sukkot, nobody disagrees that that is biblically obligated. Keep Pligi, hold on, let me just make sure, let me make sure I'm getting right the right seven. Hold on, let me just look at Tosos again. One second. Um, one minute. <laughs> okay, let me see if I can get this right. Okay, so Tozo is like this. Bishiva, during the time somebody is living there, whether the seven days of the Sukkot, the way Tozo reads this, or the seven days the Kohen Gadol is living in the actual chamber, nobody disagrees that that is a base year and obligated in a mezuzah. Kipligi, no, he's saying even the Rabbana. Okay, everybody would agree biblically. Kipligi b'shari Moser Shana. Now, the debate about whether the Lishkas Parhedrin was biblically obligated in a mezuzah or not, you know, that is rabbinic. Rabba, that is about the rest of the year. Rabbanan Savri, now Tosus here has a different girsa. He says, Rashi switched the girsa. He says, all of the original girsas were, Rabbanan Savri, lo gazrinan, shayimasarshanu atashiva. We do not make exera. The rest of the year will lead to those seven days. Rabbi Yehuda Savar, gazrinan. We do. So what he says that means is the following. He says that according to the rabbis, hold on, let me just give me one second. One minute, one minute. Shh. One minute. <laughs> okay, so fine. So the way Tosos reads this is, let's see if I can get this right. The way Tosos reads this is the following, is that according to the rabbis, the rabbis only apply the biblical rule. So they say that when somebody is living in the, when somebody is living in the, like in the Lishkas Parhedrin, okay, then they are, um, then it's Chayv in a mezuzah. Um, what? Yeah, so that's the Gemara is going to challenge that in a minute, okay? So, so um, when somebody is living, it's Chayv in a mezuzah. The whole debate is when people aren't living there. So, which would be the sukkah on the rest of the year, the lishkas parhedrin in the rest of the year, um, the other lishkaot. Those would be those would be the debates. So, Rabbi Huda and the rabbis say lo gazrinan that we don't obligate them when they're not really obligated. Rabbi Huda savar gazrinan, and Rabbi Huda holds we make a gzera, and therefore we rabbinically mandate that there be a mezuzah even when the Kohen Gadol isn't living in the Lishkas Parhedrin and even in, you know, um, I'm getting this confused. Hold on. Shh. Oh, wait a minute. I'm just, wait a minute. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's very, it's, it's, just, getting, it's just getting confusing. I, hold on a second. Um... <coughs> Okay, um, I'm, I'm getting this confused. Uh, you know what? Um, I mean, okay, I'll try one more time, and if not, we'll, if not, <laughs> we'll go on, because it's about to get very much easier in the next statement. I'll try one more time. The way Tosus reads this is that Reb, Reb Yehuda, the, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to just get to the next line. Okay, so somehow the Gemara makes an argument that they're only arguing on the rest of the year about the status of the Lishka and the status of the Sukkah, and they're only arguing about the rest of the year. Everybody agrees that during the Chag it is the Orisa. So, so let's see how the Gemara rejects that. Okay, exactly how to imagine that would work out is complicated, but let's see how the Gemara rejects that. 
Amalei Rava, so the understanding why it rejects it is easy, and this is what Michael's saying, You can't say that there, everybody agrees during Sukkot that it's obligated. The whole debate of the rabbis and, the, and, the, and Rabbi Yehuda is on Sukkot. It's explicit whether it needs a mezuzah or not. Elam Arava, now this, now this is much clearer. The rest of the year, everybody agrees it's exempt. Nobody's living in it. Keep Ligi B'Shukah, B'Shiva. The debate is when it's being lived in. The Sukkah time of the Chud, the Lishka time of the Chud. And each one, by the way, how, did the, how, how come everybody is reversing their position? Rabbi Yehuda is lenient in the base of Mikdash and strict by the Sukkah. The Rabbanan are reversed. So it says each one has its own separate issue. Let's take a look. Sukkah time of the Chud, Sukkah is one debate. Rabbi Huda goes according to his reasoning in the beginning of Sukkot Rabbi Huda says a Sukkah can be a hundred feet high because he thinks that a Sukkah can be and maybe has to be a permanent dwelling so if it is considered to be a permanent dwelling it's a, it's a real dwelling it's obligated in a mezuzah for Abanan Litamayu, the rabbis go according to their reasonings, to Amri, Sukadiris Arabian, the Lomachaibim Sukkah. So that debate is completely about the status of Sukkah. Sukkah is this flimsy thing, it's only made for a week. Forget a house I only live in in the summer, but it lasts throughout the year. A Sukkah is made for a week to be taken down. So the rabbis say, logically, it's not a house. The Buddha says, during that week, that becomes your house. And it has the status of a diras keva for that week. So that's a debate. Doesn't matter how you construct it. Halachically, is that considered to be a temporary dwelling? Or no, the idea of sukkah is the temporary dwelling becomes my house. Is it considered to be a diras arai or diras keva? It's only made for seven days. It would not apply to anything other than a sukkah on sukkah. If I made a little hut in my back house, in my backyard for a week, everybody would agree it's exempt. The question is the status of it as a sukkah. That's that debate. Okay? The Lishka time in Luchud. Now, the Lishka in the base of Mikdash has its own reasoning. Rabbanan Savri Dira Ba'al Karchash Madira. This is what it's about. Because you have to live there. It's in a permanent structure. But you're forced to live there. It's like a jail. If I'm in jail, God forbid, and do I say, I need a, my, my religious needs, I have a right to have them met, I need a mezuzah on my door. <laughs> okay? So, well, you don't really, anyway, they can move you around. You don't really have any bilis over the face. But, if you, if you are forced to live there, is it considered to be a base theory? You, part of living means that you're not a prisoner, that you are empowered so is that considered to be a dira? Rabbanan Savi dira ba'al karcha shma dira, and therefore it's obligated in a mezuzah, and that's why they say it was not rabbinic, it was biblically obligated. Rabbanan Savi dira ba'al karcha lo shma dira. It's not, and no, no place in the Beis HaMikdash is anybody living out of a choice. If anybody is living in any room, they're forced to live there. And therefore, there's no obligation of mezuzah. Now, what is gzeira? Why do they have it, therefore, in the Lishkas Parhedrin, according to them as a gzeira? What's the gzeira? When we do Rabbanan who did it was all rabbinic. Shalom Yomru, Koin Gadol Chavush Beveis Hasurim. So they shouldn't say exactly for the reason. It's, it isn't this, but it's, it, it's, it's consistent. The reason he doesn't consider it to be a base dira is because you are imprisoned there. So he views it as being imprisoned, as it were, I'm making it as an extreme, and therefore exempt from a mezuzah, and it's because he views it as that way that he has to obligate you in a mezuzah, so you don't view it that way. (laughs) So so anyway, so they both agree that the point of mezuzah shows you're living there and you're not imprisoned, but the rabbis start by saying you're living there and you're biblically obligated. Rabbi Yudah starts by saying you're somewhat imprisoned there and you're not biblically obligated, but we're going to make a mezuzah to make it look like you're not. Okay? So we will see more about this tomorrow.